Welcome to One Believe Dies. I am joined by Sam. Hello, how you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. How you doing? Yeah, enjoying lockdown. I've got myself a little bit of whiskey, and I'm just uh, going, going to enjoy the chat today, I think. It's going to be good. Recently, I've been uh, watching probably far too much YouTube, um, but one of the things I've been looking at and watching is the exposure of fake martial arts, um, and I just find this stuff so intriguing. So... I, I find MMA really interesting, um, and I quite enjoy watching it. And I've got a few friends who are very into it, and so it kind of drags you into the into the um, the viewing of it. But what is really interesting is when you start watching those videos on YouTube, you get linked to other videos, obviously the algorithms, and some of that stuff is these fake martial arts. And what is amazing is that there are all these martial arts around, which are, for all intents and purposes, useless at the like best, and then an utter con at the worst. So you have martial arts, which are essentially useless in an actual fight situation. Um, so there's certain groupings, which yeah, just wouldn't work if you were in a street brawl, all the way through to people who are actually peddling just a con and just like fraud and falsity. But what is really interesting about these videos is you watch people doing like what is essentially trying to do force pushes with chi and energy and all this sort of stuff. Um, and is it, watching this really funny. It's generally funny, but it makes you wonder about humans and our ability to believe things if we want to. So there's all these like masters of these techniques, and all the students believe this is real, and you see videos of them pushing these people over. And it makes you wonder, like, who's in on it or who believes it and therefore goes along with it because they think it's true? And that's a really difficult balance. But what that made me do was think about, again, the point of this podcast and thinking it back to belief. Like, how many things do we believe and sort of confirm our belief because we want it to be true rather than because it is? So these masters who do this force pushing, the people go to these classes and believe it, and they probably feel the effects of it, and they will be impacted by the effects of the force, chi, push, energy, whatever. Um, and will fall down or be knocked out. And it, it just raised the thing of how much we can make ourselves believe things that aren't necessarily true because we want to believe them. Yeah, some some massive, massive subjects. I was thinking about this recently as I've been reading through um, um, Richard Dawkins' book, um, The God Delusion. I've read a couple more of his books before, but just been listening to it on, on, on Audible as I've been running and working out just to kind of write, write a book review through it. But... Um, what I found about that book that is linked to this is that it's quite an interesting idea around what you perceive to be real and what is actually real. So obviously in that book, he talks a lot about Darwinian evolution and the idea that we were, um, that we have evolved um, via natural selection and random mutation. Um, though he doesn't really mention random mutation that much in the book. Um, but yeah, that versus faith. And I was thinking about it, like, you know, if, if we've kind of, deconstruct this whole faith stuff quite intensely and we're going to be going through that obviously a hell of a lot throughout this podcast and our, our lives but also like, i was thinking to myself well if we are um an evolved ape essentially you know we, we, we are a, a, a step along the evolutionary journey um we kind of look at our senses and what we perceive to be real and, and this this idea of like community and this idea of finances and this idea of um 
even our senses telling us how things are, but that doesn't mean that is actually how they are. Does that make sense? So you might go for a walk in the woods and you'll be walking along thinking it's really nice. The sun's kind of coming through the trees in this really beautiful way and I'm really enjoying this time, And it, which is fine. It's absolutely fantastic. And you can obviously thoroughly enjoy nature. That's not an issue. But if you were to actually strip away all of your personal feelings about the sun, to strip away how it felt to be there and actually was able to and, and you were actually able to have this kind of stark reality which says this is what you are experiencing right now or this is what is actually happening at this moment in this woods it would be completely different to what we actually feel and i just found that a really bizarre thing like bizarre to think about and to feel this this idea that everything we perceive and everything that we strive to gain is potentially not correct in terms of it's not literally what's happening it is a fabrication of our mind and even subconsciously, we are trying to tell ourselves stories that aren't necessarily true. Um, and, you know, linking that back to your kind of martial arts stuff, like it's that idea of like um, wrestling. Like I'm, I'm not, I don't know much about MMA, but I know a little bit about like WWE and that sort of, um, you know, classic um, The Rock fighting sort of, uh, yeah, fake. I mean, people are going to kill me for saying that, but like fake fighting, like it, it is, you know, it's a really, I, I think it's, it is a profession. People do really well at it. It is fun. It takes a lot of work, a lot of working out. It's hard to get into it, all that sort of stuff. Um, but it is a show. You are you are bringing a crowd along on a journey and you're trying to help them to engage in the stuff. Um, but it isn't actual fighting. It's, um, it's almost like um, a dramatized enactment of fighting, which is really interesting. But the stories people tell themselves to believe that is true like the backstory to, to these characters like tombstone or whoever the 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 narratives that we cast around the idea that we want to invest in this person because they are most like us like you know all the guys would look at male role models and all the girls look at the female uh, role models and we kind of attribute ourselves to them because we want to be like them and um you know, it's the same with this um kind of like fake martial arts is this we we want this power this ability this kind of like a single touch knockout to be a reality because it gives us something a little bit more um that we can kind of strive for and and enjoy um it's, it's really interesting sorry i've got a massive tangent but yeah it, it definitely comes back to our our idea of sense and worth and how we perceive things i think is is intrinsically linked to to this stuff yeah and it's this um desire to be sort of more than yourself isn't it and then hopefully you can attain that um and what you said about there about longing to be that person and i wonder how much that plays into our perception of things um and how we will believe people more if we want to be like them i mean is linking with this is been doing very very limited i'm hardly well read but starting starting to read into bias um and our like cognitive biases that we don't we have to do all we have all the time and we don't necessarily think about them um and some of them are just fascinating how they affect us so what we just said there, like the halo effect, which is that we will we will trust and believe people more if we find them like attractive. So attractive people are generally more successful because people sort of give them more authority and power and belief because they're more physically attractive. Um, like people believe attractive people are, are good and people believe that less attractive, attractive people are bad, which is like crazy to think about because it's the sort of thing you think about when you're like five but these things like really play into like everyday life um which is which is ridiculous if you think about it but it's the same sort of thing like how much do we follow leaders whoever they are in whatever field because 
we view them as either attractive or successful um or we just believe they're smarter and we put them in positions of power because they're attractive to us uh, which is a bit terrifying <laughs> and then if we long to be like them um and we get a group of people who also think they're amazing then that's just really dangerous and it's it's made me question a lot more this is again linking into the questioning things that i've always been happy with um and i wonder about like charismatic leaders and how dangerous they can be because of these effects so people who are charismatic are generally funnier and you believe them therefore to be right when they might not be same reason you get lots of inadequate leaders because those inadequate leaders are charismatic or attractive um, and we sort of naturally through our bias will give them more credence than someone who isn't as attractive i think this is probably the the main reason why we aren't doing a vlog so we're doing a podcast um, <laughs> why because <we're, laughs> we don't fit in this category yeah <laughs> um so yeah that, that's all i got to say on that point um but essentially yeah we are both ugly mofos and we should definitely stick with audio <laughs> wow i'm that's harsh. I'm uh, not sure what I feel about that. I, I've wrote myself a solid six, Sam. So, you know. It's out of what's <laughs> just so I'm clear. <laughs> <laughs> it's always out of 10, man. Okay. Attractiveness is always out of 10. Um, fair, fair. But I mean, I, I, I do, I think about that like with, again, church settings and Christian leaders because I like, so take, um, always bring him up, but he's my go to person for this sort of example. But Stephen Furtick, he is incredibly charismatic he is a brilliant orator and from everything i hear about anybody who's ever met him been around him he has a presence about him um which lots of celebrities do if you've ever been with someone who is genuinely famous they have like an like an aura about them i remember meeting noel gallagher as in oasis noel gallagher and he had an air about him like i'm not fussed about I've never been particularly fussed about famous people. I don't like long to meet famous people, but I remember meeting him and there was just something different about him, um, which was probably confidence and the fact that he spent the last 20, 30 years being told he's awesome, like that's going to affect you. But it meant that the, this he has a presence in the room. And I think of people like Stephen Furtrick, who has a presence because of their fame, like he's got millions of followers on Instagram. Um, like his church has maybe a hundred, couple hundred thousand, he has millions. Like he has this celebrity about him. And he's also like, well, I don't know if you can judge his attractiveness, but he's obviously built, um, he looks healthy, like he obviously works out as much as he does anything else. Um, and so, and he wears expensive clothes, he's always well turned out, he's got charisma. So people will naturally, without even thinking about it, because it's subconscious, believe him more or agree with him more because of the way he is like the way he presents himself and the way he comes across which means that he could be saying things which are one not true or misguided or i don't know um potentially dangerous arguable about that one but he could be talking about those things and people would go along with him because of his status and his appearance yeah and and you can you can use this stuff really effectively so i know for instance stephen furtick has done a lot of work on his communication like he's a fantastic communicator it's very rare that those things just naturally happen it takes a lot of work to become so good at communication it almost appears natural 
Um, like that is a chore. It's much like me with 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 writing and reading. Like I get through about forty books a year now, and I write obviously a blog post every single week. Like I am heavily dyslexic to the point where I basically failed all my GCSEs and just scraped through to 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 bits to a degree. Um, like I am I'm bad I'm bad at writing and reading, but I've managed to work my ass off at it over the last decade and got myself to a position where I think I'm actually a fairly good writer now. But it's the same as someone like Stephen Furtier. If 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 you're aware of what you have going for you, obviously he's good looking, um, he's charismatic, um, he is um in 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 a position in America where he's able to start up a quite a big church um, and because of those two things he's able to get you know a lot of people to come along and then he's also able to get better communication and then also push into like the Christian leadership sphere which is obviously a sphere which is pretty massive it's, it's been hit quite a lot in the last kind of decade um, we have a bit of the whole Bill Highballs controversy the whole Mark Driscoll controversy the whole Rob Bell becoming a massive liberal controversy you know there's lots of these big christian leaders that and um, people are now looking at going well what are you doing and who are you and why are you involved with this but you still got your you know your stephen fertix your craig rochelle's your andy stanley's who are still very much in that kind of white good-looking charismatic big church leadership books leadership podcasts kind of sphere and people look to that because they they, they want to be like these amazing communicators on stage who are able to deliver God's word in a way that's kind of effective and powerful and encourage people in their journeys and kind of challenge people directly. And, you know, all those sorts of things take work and it has to be work that you are deliberately doing. Otherwise, you won't get there. Like people don't people don't become a CEO of a company by mistake. Um, okay, they might do, but it's very rare. Like most CEOs will have worked their ass off as a few talents because they've recognized the natural talents they already have. They've worked things out like this kind of unconscious bias stuff that we're talking about now, Dave. And then they've also applied themselves to make sure that, that unconscious bias stuff is highlighted and usable. Um, which is why these days you, you, you have to go through bias training. Before I started doing recruitment for my new role, um, which I started in January, I had to do some recruitment and bias training, which is essentially saying, you know, if this person looks this way or talks this way or answers a question this way or has these sort of like, commitments or convictions that are different to what I might think is normal or okay, I might just say no to them, not based on their ability, but based on their X, Y, or Z, you know, these sort of characteristics or things that I don't even think about. Um, Douglas Murray talks a lot about this in his book, um, The Madness of Crowds, which I know I've asked you to read. I don't know if you have, but it is a very good book, which talks all about kind of um, bias and privilege and these sorts of things. Um, but in that, he talks about this kind of obsession that we now have with highlighting things that we think aren't in a privileged position to make them more. So like, you know, uh, females within IT. So I work in IT. Um, the whole feat like getting females into IT is a really big thing. Like we always struggle to have a a workforce which is 50-50 because it seems that more likely than not, women don't tend to want to work in IT. Obviously, there are exceptions. There are, there are women within IT, but there seems to be far fewer and all, all my IT jobs have always struggled to attract women to IT roles, um, unless they're very certain nuanced roles that you kind of build for a woman, which sounds awful, but you can sell things in a way which would be more attractive to a woman to apply for. Um, so it's just really interesting how we want these, like we, we kind of desire this perfect workforce or this perfect congregation where things are fair and right and okay where it's not you know 80% men and 20% women or 80% women and 20% men depending on where you are and like all these things are laid out where you know women don't go to a separate service if everyone's there together but then you also look and realize that we all are naturally different we have our 
natural biases that are known we have our natural subconscious biases that are unknown but we can recognize and then we have the reality of where that slots into society and i think you know something douglas murray talks about in, in this book is that we kind of force things because we want them to um we want them to work we, we we think we know what the correct answer and the correct kind of framework for a situation is and we push those things so you know someone like Stephen Fursick will do that for his individual self he'll push himself because he wants to become this pinnacle of this thing which people then look to and adhere to and he can then you know do whatever he needs to do to kind of get that worth and sense of uh, purpose and belonging and all that sort of stuff but then we also do it to groups we say you know this church congregation that we need more women or we need more uh, people of other ethnicities or we need whatever and we deliberately cultivate situations and circumstances to attract different sorts of people i i, I was in a church in leeds that deliberately realized that they weren't hitting the kind of african community that was just down the road from them so they then spent the next four years deliberately outreaching the african community within five to six years there was a good 20 percent of the church that were of an african origin um because that's what they wanted, that they want the church to be more uh, multicultural. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's really interesting how we can we can cultivate situations and circumstances to fit our idea of what it, a correct group of people would look like, as much as we do with, with, with individuals. Um, backtracking slightly to good old Stephen Furtrick, he's our, our go-to person, as I said. Do you think people want to be like Jesus or want to be like Stephen Furtick? Not necessarily Stephen Furtick, but him and his peers and his equivalent it's a great question um i think it depends it depends where you are in your journey with god um there were times when i would look at someone like stephen furtick and i would be disgusted at the level of affluence and um kind of self-fulfilling fame and prophecy that someone like that has over their life um and then there'll be other times when i would be massively desiring that because i believe that if you're in that position and your heart is right you're able to use that position and status for god's purpose which is like uh, the biggest con in human history isn't it like yeah people think that all the time don't they it's like oh it's yeah i know it's bad but if i was there i'd use it for the like no you wouldn't. <laughs> like you literally find a million pounds i'd give it all to the nhs no <laughs> you wouldn't no you wouldn't um so yeah so i mean I, I i know there are times in my own life and there's been times in my close friends and family's lives where their desire has been to kind of withdraw from people and society and um, these sorts of um, material or physical ambitions and aspirations and to spend time where you're humbling yourself and you're trying to become um, closer to god much like a kind of like a, a, a 40 days in the wilderness sort of jesus experience where you would just withdraw to your room and you read your bible or commentaries and you pray and you'd think and you'd reflect and you'd you'd spend this time trying to kind of almost become this like de-shackling yourself from the world and becoming this like jesus person but i think those sorts of moments are very far and few between and actually when you look at the world and you have to get stuck back in like with work or whatever and like i'm saying to myself now like i want to become an executive leader within it that's that is my goal um, and my desire because i think i'll be really really good at it but, but that's just my personal ambition um but that means that i've got to cultivate myself in a certain way and to, to become something that i'm not right now because otherwise i would be an executive leader um and to actually make myself into something that i'm currently not and people do that with someone like Stephen Furtick, where they go you know they have this jesus moment and then they realize as they believe and either they then spend their time deshackled in like this monastic backwater hidden away sort of situation and that can last someone's entire lifetime or they can go well now i know god and know jesus i'm now going to do 
what he's called me to do, be his hands and feet, sort of like, you know, light under the lampstand, all that sort of stuff. And go into the world. And then, you know, when I was at Bible college, it was, um, there was two options for degrees. There was leadership or there was biblical studies and theology. Now, I was a biblical studies and theology sort of guy. I find it fascinating. Leadership, interesting. I'm, I'm a leader now, but weird. Like why people want to be leaders. People want to be leaders because they think leaders are cool. That is the only reason that people at Bible college went to Bible college to be leaders. It, you can be a leader in any situation. So why the hell would you go somewhere to study about leadership to become a better leader for church if it wasn't just because you thought it would be cool to be a leader? It doesn't really make sense. So, you, um, sorry, massively interrupting, but this is like sprung in my head, which I know I'll forget if I don't interrupt you because I, I know it's rude, but you know, like uh, the greater good and all that. Because um, <laughs> the way it works, literally what you just said. Um, I I remember someone saying to me once who was a relatively new Christian, and it's just linked to what you said. Like, why is the church obsessed with leaders? Like, all the churches I've been in have got, like, leadership programs and leadership tracks and let's get people into leadership. Like, what does that even mean? Like, why are people obsessed with making leaders within the church? Like, I, have you thoughts on that? It just sprung to my mind. Like, it's just, you're saying there, like, leaders are cool. Like, you just got this serious obsession with it, like leadership colleges and whatnot yeah it's it is bizarre and please feel free to interrupt me i talk way too much um i'll keep it short and simple before i get interrupted again so um leadership <laughs> is a big thing in the new testament in terms of how people read paul people read paul and see that he's talking about elders and explain what elders are and what um you know you should kind of what a, a good church leadership eldership model looks like um and then people see that and think, right, well, a church needs to have a leadership position because otherwise we just do whatever the hell we want to do without anyone actually taking the reins and leading this church somewhere. Um, and then we kind of see since, you know, the the, the more recent last hundred years, um, what successful big churches can look like. So as as these smaller congregations have broken down, um, bigger congregations have come up. So it's almost like a divide within society where you've got the upper, middle and lower class and these these are now spread out massively. So you've got like lower, lower class, middle, lower class, upper, lower class. Like this. it's just mental. So it's very much like that with churches. And as you look at the upper, higher class of church, you see big congregations, you see you know big amounts of money that you're able to do lots with. And it's a really attractive sort of proposition. If you look at the lower, lower class of churches, you see, you know, eight to 12 people who meet once every two weeks who are all old and the church is going to close very very soon and no one wants that no one wants to you know go into a situation where there's nothing they're going to be able to do it's 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 irreconcilable that's the wrong word you know what i'm trying to say and um, there is no way to fix this it is not going to happen so what you're going to do is you're going to look for something that you can you know it's like a lower maybe middle class sort of church which you're able to go in and and there's 30, 40 people or maybe more, 50, 100 people, and you're able to actually make something. So I think it really is this kind of, we desire leadership because we want to be able to, to, to follow what Paul tells us to do about leadership within the New Testament. I think like Ephesians 4, um, that sort of stuff. And we also want to then apply God's calling over our lives into the situations we're in without going to one of those lower, lower class churches. Like we all want the higher upper class sort of church. Um, because where's the fame? Where's the glory? Like, you know, on the day of judgment or whatever, we'll be able to say to God, look what I did with how much you gave me. It's that kind of, you know, I gave you um, something. Did you just put it in the ground and not do anything with it? Or did you invest it and get more back from it? Like we want to act like we are living in this, like um, almost like the kind of financial situation we're in now where, 
you know, we actually only have 10% of the money in the bank and the rest of it is just kind of hope that at some point we'll, we'll, we'll make more money and we'll pay our debt off. Um, that's how the financial, uh, financial situation is structured, right? Now, don't you find it really funny that, um, again, this is something I've always found really interesting, how status and coolness and publicity and like being seen that is in linking with the leadership is deemed as so important, yet all the teachings of Jesus and the Gospels said literally the complete opposite, how the most important thing is to be unseen and do things without anybody noticing and be the least, uh, etc. and how Jesus himself says, don't call people leaders, you're all brothers. Um, I just, yeah, the, there's this obsession with leadership, being a leader, being having the status of a leader, the coolness of a leader, etc. It I don't know, just something about this. I mean, we're on a massive tangent, but I just feel it's really odd. <laughs> I mean, do you, do you, when you look at your life, do you do you want to be a quiet, it's not meant to be rude, uh, do you want to be a quiet no one that is there and fades out, or do you want to be remembered and do something big and make a difference and change stuff? One thing I wanted to touch on, which is, I think one of the, has been one of the biggest challenges to my faith since I started asking questions. Um, one that has made me question, and you'd probably say my eyes have been opened more by, other people would say uh, I've been fooled by, or <laughs> other people <laughs> wouldn't carry the way. But the one is the confirmation bias. I just find confirmation bias one of the scariest in the sense of how easily we as humans like like position ourselves into a narrative and then keep ourselves there so confirmation bias is when you um basically you, you surround yourself with people who agree with you ultimately well, that's a really paraphrased example of it but it means you'll search out things that confirm your current position or you'll search out people who confirm your current position, or you'll look for articles which confirm your current position, which is only exacerbated nowadays by algorithms that give you what you want to read on social media. And there's big things about that, isn't there, with the whole election of our, our chap, Donald Trump, um, the absolute nuggets that he is. But <laughs> um, he is just too, there's no two ways about it. He is a total moron. But confirmation bias, it, it just scares me because I realize that like any social group, does this all the time like it doesn't have to be church um which is the part that scares me but um you see it with like football fans and how they all agree with each other and then start hanging out and they'll all have the same opinions on things or you see it with any group of people this confirmation bias and it, it just scared me and it made me realize that there's so much that probably happens or i've thought is true or i thought happened in church settings which probably was just completely based on a combination of confirmation bias and groupthink and things like hindsight bias like all these other biases all linked in this mass of being surrounded by people who agree with you um which is just really really scary i think actually <laughs> if you take a step back yeah i think so what would what would be a kind of like a two 
uh, a two-minute kind of like a, a example of that. Then what what the things that you would say were were big kind of clinches for you in the past that you're now looking at and going, wow, that was just confirmation bias. Well, an obvious one is like healing in quotes. I put it in quotes because I think we've chatted about this briefly before, and I know we're going to chat about it properly, and we've spoken about it off recording before. But how people will attribute God to a healing or a miracle or something happening and then everyone around them will also contribute God to that thing and they'll get that will be confirmed again and again through preaches or talks or books people read and so people will continue to confirm that this is God even though it could not have been so um let's take uh let's take money so you start tithing because you're in church and you're told to tithe because that's what you're meant to do even though that's a whole different debate and it's that's a load of rubbish <laughs> but it is pretty rubbish it's christians don't need to tithe um but so you start tithing because that's what you're told christians should be doing and then you're told that if you tithe you'll be looked after financially and then all the people in your church group around you agree and confirm this by stories you hear it's like oh i, I started tithing and um, I got ten pounds to the letterbox. I started tithing, and I this, this, and this. Uh, and then a few months later, of tithing, you get a promotion, or you get a tax break, or you um, come into some money from a relative. And then what this does is that action confirms your you immediately like attribute that to tithing. You go, oh wow, I've started tithing. I've now got a promotion. So that's God blessing me for giving him money. And then all the people around you go, oh, wow, you started tithing and you've been promoted. That's God blessing you. And then at the front of church, you'll hear them on a giving talk saying, if you give money to God, you will be blessed. So it's this confirmation that the reason this is happening is because you're tithing. The fact is that you might have been promoted because you're good at your job. <laughs> like, and it has nothing to do with tithing, but it happens to be around the same instance. But it means that you become more and more ingrained in believing that tithing is really really important and fundamental to your belief to the extent where you will then only believe that's the case and you will start like not reading the bible in the way that so for, so obviously jesus doesn't talk about tithing he does once but not to christians paul doesn't talk about tithing peter doesn't talk about tithing james doesn't talk about tithing i know there's a debate about who wrote those books but bear with me <laughs> but it isn't something that's ingrained in christianity yet you'll start believing that it's fundamental do you see what i mean that's just a really quick example yeah i think it's really helpful i think um, you see it even with um anything so i'm I'm drinking whiskey as i mentioned at the very start of the episode that i wanted to have like a nice chilled out conversation and i knew that a really good way for me to chill out um would be to have a drink i don't i literally don't do this very often i've actually only just started drinking after a five month break um but Did, did you say you only start drinking after five o'clock yeah, no, well, at 5, 5 a.m., um, I think if you're drinking whilst I'm asleep, it's quite, quite impressive. Um, yeah, so you can get up, have a drink. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah. That's fine. How do you wake up? Um, I'd smoke just yeah. straight up. Yeah. So Heroin, get up. obviously. No, no, no just, just cigarettes. Like, I, I, I like okay. guitar. Um, so, yeah. like, by the side of my bed, my alarm goes off, and then second motion is straight up. It's great. Open, open that pack of camels, open that yeah. zippo, and just, just light one I, up. I used to do roll-ups, but then it, it was just too much work first thing, so yeah. I went to the packs. Yeah. That's good. You also, could always sellotape one onto your lower lip so that when you wake up, you just have to like literally pull that sellotape off, 
and it's already in your mouth. It, you end up falling off. Um, ah. it's not good. And also, but the other thing is that doing it first thing in the morning when you turn off the alarm and the lights are still off, that you can't see the horrible pictures on the front of the fag packets. So you, nice. Yeah. Um, I'm just reiterate cigarette packets because if we did ever have any American listeners, that's a very different meaning. Um, so <laughs> yeah, you can't see the horrible pictures. So the darkness helps. The, dark, the darkness helps. Um, going back to my original point about drinking. Um, Basically, like I, I want, I desire to have a state of chill comfort, which I was going to have anyway. We always have a chill conversation, but I just want to have that edge taken off. So I had a really small glass of whiskey, which I'm still going through, and I feel really relaxed. I know that there's an edge of me, which is that kind of, it's just that little tiny bit, which is you aren't quite sober, but you're absolutely fine. I mean, I can go for a drive and stuff. I'm not like that much, um, but that little edge has gone, and that is confirmation bias. Like I have had a drink i i I had a desire i did something about it and i've now fulfilled that desire which means that next time i want to have the edge taken off i will have another drink now i I actually stopped drinking originally because i found that when i was really stressed i was wanting a drink i'm not at that point but i i'm i'm aware enough to go right this has got too much and it happens with other stuff you know like um you know you want to have a um a certain sort of conversation with a friend so you'll probably start that conversation off in a way which you know will enable them to have a meaningful conversation. It could be like, hey, how are you doing? Oh, actually, I'm having a really bad day. And then you'll know that will instantly open it up to have a, you, you'll, you'll, you'll get what you want. Like Dave, for instance, I'm not trying to psychoanalyze our conversations, but the other day I sent you a message just saying I was having a really shit time. Like I just wanted to quit the blog, quit the podcast, give up and just kind of work and just kind of be with my family and that's it. Um, and I, I needed someone to say to me, yeah, it sounds like you're going through a hard time and it's, you know, it, it isn't great right now. And that's all I wanted was someone just to recognize that I was where I was. Um, and I went into that conversation, not because that's all I wanted from you, but because I knew that's what would happen from it. Um, I think probably subconsciously, like I wasn't texting you because I was like, I need Dave to say this, but I was definitely trying to get you to fulfill a certain role within our relationship. So does that make sense? It doesn't sound too weird, does it? No, no, I know exactly what you mean. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, so... It, and that has then confirmed the desire I had and how I think relationships work, which means that in, in the future, if I'm in some sort of weird, awkward meeting, I can play a similar card. And it's just this, like, we, we have these repetitive patterns that we know will fulfill a certain outcome. Um, and it is quite a, a worrying and scary thing, especially when it kind of comes down to unconscious um, kind of, like, self-fulfilling biases. It, it's really really quite scary um I'll, I'll have a think of, uh, of 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 an example but i'll let you take over for now well i mean this links and works with uh the availability heuristic which is when we base our perception on the things that we've seen the most of as well so those two together are really flipping dangerous um so it's the the fact that like if there's been like a couple of car thefts in your neighborhood then you will think that that happens all the time even if it doesn't so I remember where I lived before, the crime rates were just normal. Like they weren't high. They were just normal crime rates in an area, which was like, in, if you live in, live in most places in England, are minimal. <laughs> so like the crime rates were like, there were some, some young people on the corner who showered swear words. Like that was kind of the extent of crime. Um, but <clears throat> there was one Christmas where there was two burglaries. So um, two people had just left their doors open at the back of the house and someone walked in and nicked stuff. It's like so, reverse so it Santa. <laughs> yeah, reverse Santa. So it wasn't like a big thing. But I, people were more, I remember my wife being more conscious of burglaries from that point. 
which I know on one level makes sense because it's happened, so you've got to be aware of it. But what, so that's like the actual, like the benefit of these biases, because obviously all these biases we're talking about are naturally ingrained to help us make quick decisions. They make sense. But what happens in those situations is people suddenly become frightened that that's going to happen all the time. And it's not. It's like if you hear about uh, there was a plane crash, then people don't want to fly anymore even though your, your likelihood of being in a plane crash is probably actually reduced following a plane crash because all the pilots, ground crews, manufacturers will be far more like rigid and regimented on their safety precautions. So you're probably less likely to be involved in an accident or a plane crash right after a plane accident. Um, but the availability heuristic is the fact that we now, it's in our minds, therefore we think it's going to happen more. And this links to what, like, my example of the confirmation bias would say the tithing because we're hearing these things happening we're more likely to believe they're going to happen more um and this is why i was wondering why and like how this impacts any belief system but say church because if you surround yourself with people who confirm your belief is true then you hear about it being true and people confirm it and then you're surrounded by like availability heuristics of people saying it's happened you, you think it's going to happen more often than it actually does. Um, and so there's almost like an expectation it's going to happen. And I wonder how many people's belief structures are based on the potential of something happening rather than the experience of actually happening. So I think you've mentioned it before, Sam, might have been in one of the very first episodes, how the amount of people who actually truly live, say, Christianity is probably quite low so you use an example of people who went to different countries and saw all this stuff happen. Um, and for people cling on to that because they hear it all the time, that this does stuff does actually happen all the time and therefore they believe it could happen to them, which links back again to the desiring these charismatic leaders. They see these charismatic leaders being these successful people and then potentially people believe it could happen to them because it's in their, in their faces. Uh, so you know, I wonder how much this stuff plays into people believing things that they haven't actually ever experienced, they've only heard about or seen, and therefore they believe it happens all the time. I, I think it also plays into, when you're talking about a spiritual thing that you can't actually uh, quantify, um, you know, it isn't like a, a your your payment dropping into your account from your work, it is something that you um, you think has happened, but you can't actually prove has happened when I say you can't quantify it. Like if you look at and we talked about it before and we'll talk about it again, but kind of miracles, like every single church meeting I've been to that's had a miracle, I use quotation marks, um, as we all know, um, has started off with someone telling us about miracles and how miracles are taught about in the Bible and how we're expected to perform miracles. And, you know, these were the things that this person saw last time they had a congregation trying to you know, pray for each other and see God move and heal. Um, and you, you kind of, you kind of work it all up, don't you? And it's it's very much this kind of like you know back backdoor robbery you're talking about. Like people people hear a couple of stories and then get themselves into a situation where they they think that something's going to happen to them, which probably won't happen to them. It's like um, there's been loads and loads of cases of people saying that they have coronavirus, and actually when they when they get looked at and checked over, they don't have coronavirus. What they have is is this sort of like placebo coronavirus effect where they have bad hay fever or something else yes there is something wrong with them but it isn't coronavirus but they think it's coronavirus you see it with other stuff like you know if someone watches a documentary on um chernobyl so there's a, a documentary very recently on chernobyl um well it's like a not a documentary but it was kind of like a, a, about a year and a half ago on, on um, hbo it's like this dramatized version of chernobyl telling telling 
the true story but in a very detailed and graphic way um and after that there was a massive increase in the uh, rise of reportings of um radiation uh poisoning um and you know most of these most of these claims are false but because people had seen chernobyl and seen and or read or thought more about it they then began to wonder if they did or did not have this thing um yeah. and it's just really interesting how how that that plays on your minds even if you don't and and you and, and you and you'll see it in your dreams and stuff. Like you'll you'll go to bed and you'll dream something really fucking weird. Wake up and you'll be in the first twenty seconds. You remember it. You'll be like, yeah, that that's weird. Like that kind of links back to that conversation I had four days ago with X, Y, or Z. Why have I just relived that in my dream? Or why am I thinking about that? It's because your brain, your subconscious is holding on to stuff that you're then kind of defragging in your sleep. Like the subconscious is such a powerful tool. Um, it's incredible. The, the sort of the uh, feeling effects when you people have tell you about it before it's there's a it's called the rosenthal effect isn't it it's when if if you are in a group yeah. where there's an expectation set like you can actually physically change your behavior or your feelings even if you don't th- think about it so if you've got so that that healing example is if you've got a load of people saying like a group of people saying something like that has a significant impact on an individual's ability to go against the tide like on a yeah, subconscious level it can happen people can you can change opinions people will um will like disbelieve their own senses to go along with the crowd or you can have the impact of um like things like healing or feeling ill like you said um if it's like the the idea that like words are powerful if, if people constantly tell you something in a group you'll feel almost pressured into that without realizing it and you can experience what you're being told to experience because the effect like i remember like all this stuff is just like opening up memories which is really funny when you start talking about stuff and it so it clicks Good. into place in previous memories so i remember um quite a few times when i'd be standing in church and it was like the time in the meeting when people would pray for people and it like they'd ask the Holy Spirit to do things. Um, and actually now thinking about it, I remember the person at the front saying, so he's going to pray, just stand with your hands out. And you might feel fire, like warm hands, or you might feel like a slight tightness in your chest, or you might find, feel, you know what I mean? It's like listing things that you might feel and then saying, this is the Holy Spirit, which I know the person personally who used to say it. And I know because I just knew them as but they that wasn't done maliciously like that that person wasn't doing it to manipulate because that wasn't their character but that is actually really powerful if you've got a, if you're in a group setting and you're being told what you should be experiencing things like the Rosenthal effect would say you will experience that thing because you, your your subconscious is so powerful over your body that you can experience things if you're told to which is mind-boggling so that links back to it was the one we talked about miracles is how many people's experience of, of god or belief is based on being told what to experience and then experiencing it so someone has a, a spiritual experience in quotes in a in a church setting or a meeting or a something or a small group or whatever and that isn't actually anything other than these these subconscious effects and so they base their belief system on something that wasn't actually a thing. And then, because they then get involved in a group, that effect is then compounded by all the biases 
that are and group like dynamics which which impact like that is crazy to me and when i think about that as an idea and i look back on my time in church it raises so many questions experiential side of Christianity is a massive, massive subject. I think it's something we're going to be talking over for the next few years, mate. I don't think we're going to exhaust the bottom of this barrel anytime soon. I, think, I mean, if you even look at the Bible, so say somehow you managed to wipe the slate of your mind clear, and I gave you a Bible and said, do you read this and tell me what a church looks like? Or read this and tell me how one should live? Or, you know, read this and tell me what is morality made of? Like, these questions would have answers that do not fit with what we see around us. What we see around us are people who are trying to apply texts that have been interpreted in different ways for thousands of years um, to their lives today, based on what they also know humans are capable of doing or not doing. So what works? What works is obviously everyone meeting together on a Sunday morning, um, you know, having a small group of 30 people at church that you get on with, but the church can be much bigger, but as long as you've got a close-knit community, um, you will be effective in how you um, get on within that church. So we, 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 we structure and base ourselves on how we've interpreted the text, how times interpreted the text, and also how we um, know humans to function and work. Um, but if you were to actually pick up the Bible and read it, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't see church being presented in the way it's presented. You wouldn't see Christianity being presented in the way it's presented. And you wouldn't see belief in in the way that we envision it being presented in the way it's presented. It's just a really strange situation that we um, we take all this um, this this stuff to heart in, 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 in such a way that it, it dictates it to us before we actually get the chance to reflect and allow it to influence us, if that makes sense. And, and, and you mentioned this with the experiences, like it has been dictated to you what your experience should be before you actually allow the experience to tell you what you're experiencing, um, which is a really dangerous position to be in. Well, I just, I think it's, you said something about again how often do we see true things happening like on the streets like really and again i know you hear stories but it'd be good like again personally have a think how many times you've actually seen anything happen anywhere but in a church setting and i said i don't know this stuff just scares me because it makes me consider like so many things that i've built aspects of my life on that could just be untrue <laughs> like that's like a crazy thought and i know this isn't like unique to belief because loads of people believe stuff based on all the things we talked about just not with a god lens on it um so people buy lottery tickets over and over again because they heard about one person who won or they happened to win this time so they buy lottery tickets on a friday because this person you know this stuff is common but when you start looking back at it does make you go like it's just kind of scary that i potentially made like quite big life decisions based on just nothing <laughs> other than potentially misplaced perception yeah. uh, which i i just think that's really um 
really crazy. And again, so the reason I'm going through all these biases is because I'm literally just reading articles about them. And then I keep coming across them. I'm like, oh, that's weird because I could apply it to this thing that happens. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, that's really, really bad, like scary. Um, so you've got like hindsight bias where um, you can just like memory is like really actually rubbish. Like they've done loads of experiments on how actually inaccurate memory is and how you can easily like change what you remembered based on circumstance events and what's happened since and how if you have a load of people saying, oh yeah, this happened, didn't it? You'll start to agree with them. So again, that leads to when you hear people talk about their belief or experience of anything, if if they've talked about with other people about it a lot, then it's probably being misremembered. It's just common. Like well, that's the reason like using eyewitness accounts in court is really quite scary because people can so easily misremember based on all sorts of things. Um, apparently, like just the way you are asked a question can change the way you remember something. So they did an experiment where they got people to watch a car crash um, and ask people what happened in the car crash. And if they asked the people at what speed did the cars hit each other, the people gave a very different answer to if they asked people what at what speed did people the cars smash into each other. So the, the change of the word hit and smash made people who asked the smash question it um, like described glass smashing and like light smashing so all the glass type parts of a car breaking even though they didn't because they remembered it based on the words the questioner used which if you apply that to your life you're like flipping heck how many of my memories are like warped by like the rest of my life um, and in turn how like how many group memories are actually very different to what actually happened because of the like the the change as people talked about them or referred to them or um those sort of things like it makes you really really all this stuff has made me like mind blown actually about how like unreliable we are <laughs> as people <laughs> to get things right <laughs> without like overlaying them with all this misperception and, and bias and misinformation yeah i think that's a, a big thing and then that that feeds into kind of historic thoughts about stuff like when you think about your childhood and you think about you know, you, you will have memories where it would be pre-adolescence where things felt like they would last forever like summer would never end and, and all these sorts of things where you would just you know, have a, a carefree day running down by the, the stream near the end of the garden or whatever the hell you had yeah, everyone has their own thing um and those things felt amazing and felt real and felt true but they weren't like they were just how you felt at the time and then how your your brain has then interpreted them going on and how you've now kind of idolized them as the perfect state of of enjoyment and complete freedom um it's it's worrying and i think this is a big thing that i've been really thinking about over the last few years um yeah, it's it tricky. Tricky to talk about. I think it, I think it's important to talk about. Um, it, it's this it's this idea that you know if something happened to you years ago and it's something that's really affected you, how you interpret it. So if you if you know there are key moments that literally are true, 
but there are other moments which seem more hazy within a certain situation. Um, say it was like you know twenty years ago, or whatever, when you were young. Um, how you then string those things together to create a set of narratives or a, or a, or a coherent story? Like your your brain will naturally try and create and make sense of something. Um, so we kind of hear it um, or see it in our day to day senses. So um, say for instance we're um, we're sat watching TV. We turn the TV off and you know it's quiet, but we think we hear this weird voice. So we're then like someone's in the house or there's a demonic presence or something's happening this voice is really freaking us out and we get up we try and investigate and as we get um nearer and nearer and nearer we see that the window's cracked open slightly and 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 the way the wind's blowing through the window is making this sort of sound which actually we our brains interpreting as a voice but it is not a voice um and if we have some sort of religious conviction we we could interpret it that sounds to to be saying things that it was never saying but our brain will try and make sense of it as best it can um, yeah, there's just, um, there's a lady who does like investigations around this sort of stuff. I remember hearing about her on a podcast yeah. where the example she used was this person they thought their like flat was possessed. Um, they thought themselves quite a rational person, and they dismissed it at first. But then they kept waking up, like feeling like someone was sitting on their chest, um, and then they started like getting headaches and feeling like oppressed like physically oppressed and like like someone was with them and kept like wait yeah literally waking up like someone's pushing on their chest no one was there and obviously freaked them out and because they had um sort of religious background they're like oh like it seems demonic um because it's felt so real like this this presence and it turned out it was carbon monoxide poisoning um so this person oh no it's her sorry this is where she got into it this happened to her and this because she was convinced like and she, I think she started seeing things like shadows, um, had this, yeah, the feeling on her chest, headaches. She convinced it was a thing. And she ended up like researching like these feelings. And she stumbled across this like website, which was dedicated to this sort of stuff and like a forum. And she posted on feeling all these things. And like one of the first response was, it's carbon monoxide poisoning, get your gas checked out. Um, and she did wow. while she was slowly being poisoned. Like if, if she had continued in the state she would have died because she would have got carbon monoxide poisoning but because of her like preconceptions unfortunately she was obviously well to go and research it but her preconceptions were that is an attack and apparently it's a really common thing like carbon monoxide poisoning can lead to this feeling of like oppression like people are watching you shadows feeling of the being pressured all these things she just discussed that felt like real events happening to her were just the effects of carbon monoxide poisoning um, I say just, that's a bit of an awful, isn't it? But you know what I mean? Like, we can so easily attribute things to, like, the, the voice coming through the window when it isn't, it's just the wind. Or um, it's like when you wake up in the night and if you've left something hanging up on your, like, on a chair in your room, which you wouldn't normally, your brain immediately thinks it's something. It doesn't, you ever had that when you wake up and it looks like a person? Oh, yeah. And it's yeah, like, it's freaky. And, and, like, for like a second, you're convinced someone's in your room and then you're like, Oh no, it's just my coat. But yeah, like our first response in our brains is like, it is this, all this thing is it, it, our brain immediately tries to apply it to something it already knows. Oh, it's, it's, it's freaky. So I, I, um, I, I love horror films and horror TV shows and there's a TV show on Netflix. I called, hate uh, them so much. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I hate so there's a, 
for this reason, this is all I hate horror films. I was say, okay, let me, let me let me tell you a story. So there's this TV show called The Haunting of Hill House or Haunting on 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 Hill House, something like that on 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 Netflix. Second season's coming out in a few months' time, and I literally cannot wait. I'm so looking forward to get my ass scared off. Um, it's, it's, but, it's probably gonna do so much good, Sam. Like, yeah, it's really healthy, but. Whenever I watch something like this, so I was watching loads when my when my little boys have been born. So I was up at two AM. Thought, you know, why not? Um, and um, I'm, I'm hoping that they weren't with you. Yeah, they were, but they were babies. They didn't, they didn't know any better. Um, <laughs> it's not satanic, Dave. Satan's not real. No. We know this. No, it's um, just flipping awful. I, I, I stopped watching Westworld because I realised that Julia, my, my daughter, was in the room, and I was like, oh, I can't watch Westworld when she's asleep. That's flipping awful. There was one moment where I had uh, my eldest on my lap. Um, so I, 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 I used to kind of play like the witch or something. So I'd have them on, on my knee, uh, like l- lying on my lap, so their feet were on my tummy and their heads were on my knees. And I'd just be gently bobbing them up and down, so they were like lying on their back on my, on my lap basically and putting them to sleep and um, there's one time I was watching a, 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 like some sort of horror film and something happened I jumped and they were like, they like jumped and their eyes went uh, eyes their arms went up you know like babies do they go up yeah. and they just fall back down they fall back asleep I found that was so so cute which really helped this like massive horror jump that I had um, anyway so I was watching uh, The Haunting of Hill House and um I just had this feeling that there was something in the room with me. It was really freaking me out. So I you know, went and closed the curtains, closed the doors, made sure that I, I could see every corner of the room. And I don't know if you've ever had this when you watch them, but you just need to keep checking over yeah. your shoulder and looking. And it, so it, I... Yeah, it happened to me when I was watching The Shining uh, yeah. on my own in my one of my houses where the the lounge, like the staircase, what was the wall in the terrace house had been taken down for the lounge. So like English terrace house, you walk in the front door on your left, you're right, usually the lounge and there's a staircase usually in front of you and the wall had been taken out. So the staircase was very much like just behind the sofa. And oh. So when I was watching The Shining the whole time, I was like just checking up the staircase to make sure those twins weren't there. Yeah, it was stupid because of course they're not going to be there. <laughs> it wasn't like red, red rum just written all over the place. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I mean, I, I do loads of running, and at the moment I'm going out at five thirty, and it's light, it's fantastic. But in a few months' time, it will be dark again, and I'll be out there running in the dark, and I will not want to think about anything awful. But if I'm walking along. Say I'm walking at night listening to this podcast now, we're talking about it. I'll begin thinking about supernatural stuff like ghosts, dead things, what happens when you know we, we, we pass on. Is there a spiritual realm? Like all the stuff that I don't actually believe is true will begin to tingle my back and um, the back of my neck and the hairs will start standing up and I'll begin to scare myself. So I'll begin running that little bit faster. I'll look over my shoulder. I'll make sure that I'm not seeing things. I'll be more careful of shadows. I'll, do you know what I mean? All these things just naturally happen. It's, it's really bizarre how our brains work, even when we know things are, are not true. Like, I have never seen a ghost and I don't think I will ever see a ghost. If I do, we can have that conversation. But right now I don't think I'm going to see a ghost, but yet I will still feel like I'm going to see something when I'm thinking about it, which is probably the time that you will not see something. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. Um, Bizarre. It makes sense, like, historically, because, again, if you're living in the wilderness and there's actual bears and lions and predators Mm -hmm. and you're told by your tribe, your group of people, be aware of bears, they might eat you, it's very sensible to be a little bit wary of potentially bears. (laughs) Like, your brain is like, there are bears. Let's mine out the bears. So anything that could be a bear, it goes as a bear because you'll obviously live longer. <laughs> so that makes sense. But yeah, the fact it happens with things that yeah we know are, know aren't real. But on the um the fear thing, like 
that's I've never watched horror horror film. I know The Shining is kind of a horror film. It's more of a thriller than a horror. But I don't watch horror films for that reason. Like I don't like being scared. I don't like the feeling. And I and when I was younger, like things used to. I've always had a really good imagination, so things almost felt more real. So I avoided them. Um, so things, but so I'm not particularly scared of stuff. Like I don't. I'm not scared of burglaries, murder, anything this sort of stuff. Um, but my wife, who watched a lot of horror films growing up, because her like group of friends, she didn't want to, but her group of friends did. So you know that weird social dynamic you don't want to leave and you have to feel like you're there. Hmm. Oh, either way, it's just embarrassing. So she ended up watching a lot of horror films. She's scared of all this stuff. Um, it, like it really has impacted her long term because I presume then, like her subconscious is wary of things that are not going to happen, but because it's like trained into you through this viewing that she is now aware of it in a different way. Um, which I just find really interesting how our two different upbringings has made us. I know again, there's the other aspect that, um, she's a woman and there's always this, it seems to be all the women I know are more frightened of being attacked, etc., than men are, even though statistically more likely to be attacked than men. Never mind. Um, it just I find it quite interesting how that can have an impact long long term. Yeah, and then you if you link it back to someone who was raised and brought up in a Christian framework as someone like yourself who became a Christian when they were nineteen, um, like your interpretation of supernatural events and spiritual encounters it would be different to mine. Um, but we will have things that we have got used to or experienced or think are those things, even though they're not. Like I, I feel a tingly on my neck and my hair stands up on end when I watch a horror film. The same thing can be brought about by a, a supposed religious encounter. It doesn't mean that there's anything supernatural happening. What it means is that your body is responding and your hormones are rushing and your um, adrenal glands are going because you expect something to happen, not because it has actually happened. And that's the really scary thing about this kind of like, sorry, it's a really scary thing about our subconscious and our desires and our biases. Like the fact that we want to experience these things and we think these things are going to happen. I mean, it taught you, 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 you spoke about it. Like if you sit next to a bush and the bush shakes, you will instantly jump and look at the bush. Why do you do that? Is you do that because if there's a snake or a bear or a lion in that bush, it's going to get you. You need to run. Like that is a fight or flight response. That is an evolutionary response that, was, that is within you. If you just stood there and didn't do anything, you're going to die. And that's the whole like that's the whole natural selection stuff. Like you know the um, survival of the fittest. Like the, the the animals and creatures that did not respond to those sorts of things are not here anymore. And okay, sure, we might have some animals that are now like that again because we've tamed them and they've you know become more um, sub subdued but you know humans still are we still are very very much a tuned machine to respond to the stimulus around us and i think that plays a massive role within our religious faiths and convictions yeah i'd agree um something that this is a see i didn't become a christian since i was 19 but i was still raised my mum was a christian so i still had input so the spiritual thinking was still in my brain um and like i was always so my mum always said to me if you see anything weird like spiritually weird all you have to do is just say jesus and it will go away um so with all the stuff we've been talking about if i experienced anything like that i'd say jesus and it would go away because i've been told that's what would happen um so if i felt scared i'd just say it um and then with all this doubting things, questioning things, I stopped doing it on purpose to see what would happen. 
So sometimes I'll be laying in bed at night and there'll be this like feeling of like a bit of fear or I hear a knock, like, if, like you know, houses creak and floorboards go and all this sort of stuff. And my like historic traditional response would just be like, Jesus. Um, because if it was spiritual, power of name of Jesus, done. And I just went, I was about to do it. I was like, oh, shall I do this? Or shall I see if it makes any difference if I don't? And it was a really weird moment of like, this is what I've always done because I believe it has an effect and I've experienced it having an effect. But is it real or is it just that's what I've sort of been conditioned to do over years? And I was like, oh, I'm just, I'm just going to not, I'm just going to see, I'm just not going to do it. And nothing happened. Obviously, I was fine. And th- th- I had the same response from saying, I'm not going to say it because I think it's potentially just conditioning as I did when I used to say it. So I just stopped saying it or doing it in, in, in those situ- situations. Um, and that was a really weird, profound moment because I was like, oh, something I've done all my life, well, not all my life, but a significant portion of my life and really believed to be true. And I still don't know what I think about that truly, but I don't say it anymore when I have an experience like we've talked about. Now what I say is, this is probably a load of rubbish. I'm just going to go and do something else. No, you still want to get that feeling of like, <gasps> I'm like, well, this is just me reacting to something. And that's, I just move on, which is a really weird dynamic to move from having this thing that I relied on to choosing not to do it anymore to see what would happen and then realizing that it wasn't, didn't seem to be anything. It was just something I did. It's interesting. I, mean, I know what the conservative Christian responses will be, which will simply just be um, the enemy, the devil, Satan, or whatever, um, has decided that in those moments he is not going to reveal himself to you because if he does, you will then cling to your faith again. But actually, the enemy is using this as an opportunity to taunt you, to kind of make you realize that the spiritual realm is there, but also to not give you enough to make a decision. I know, like when I was coming out of my faith, one of the conversations, the conversations I had with people was, "Why do we not see God move today? We don't see the supernatural today." And a big response that I held to for quite a while was, um, "The enemy is using this time, 21st century, to test humanity because he's decided to not make himself known. It's like he's retreated from the world because he believes that if we don't believe that he's there and we don't believe that God's there, we don't need." religion and therefore we won't be brought into god's kingdom we'll be brought into the enemy's kingdom it's very uh, screw tape letters isn't it yeah yeah basically yeah it is real real c.s lewis stuff um and i obviously love c.s lewis so i i've read all this stuff and thought all this stuff through for a long time um but yeah it's just it's just interesting like people be saying that but at the same time i'm like it just doesn't make sense to me like i don't why would they give you this weird creepy feeling and then go oh but i'm not actually there there's no there's no dead girl at the end of your bed it's all a pretend um like it's just weird but i get it like if you did see something that you knew was demonic you would i guarantee begin praying like there's no question right am i right oh 100 if you saw something again because i suppose you see something and your brain really quickly goes is that something to worry about not sure. And then if there was a next level of that, which was, oh no, that's definitely something properly weird. <laughs> um, like, so your brain sees a shadow, it goes, oh, that's just a shadow. And it turns out the shadow isn't just a shadow, it's a weird, demonic looking thing that's actually there. Then, yes, I think 100% of the population of the world would be like, oh dear, that's really flipping weird. Um, but but it never, it, that isn't, hasn't ever been that stage. It's only ever been the first feeling. And I just always attributed it to something spiritual 
and then yeah. I've like I've just because of all this questioning doubt I've made the decision to just see if it is by ignoring it <laughs> it'd be like I don't care. <laughs> um and it what I've also felt is that those things have happened less and that could just be coincidence it could be confirmation bias um and recency bias um but it hasn't happened as much i haven't felt like this oppression like i did before oppression is too strong a word but like this feeling of something i haven't experienced the same amount of those things happening which is again a bit weird and unexpected um i i suppose my would it be hope i suppose my hope i think it's the wrong word would have been that this stuff would have continued or not, if not increased if i stopped calling on the name of jesus to fix it but it's done the complete opposite Do you know what i mean like if things were really there and the thing that was keeping them at bay was praying if you stop praying you'd expect them to increase wouldn't you unless the example you use but i think that's a really like i agree with you as being a poor explanation so the fact that they have disappeared pretty much is i just find that yeah really quite profound yeah and and then and then you you have this darwinian explanation for i'm not saying that it has to be the only explanation but you, but you have a rational explanation for the first phase that you were talking about still still experiencing like that hair back of your neck stuff and um, the the fear of it um you 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 have a reason for why that's in you um which is all explained within the natural world, which is just for me is like another nail in the coffin. It doesn't doesn't make sense to then go, well, that's because there is the supernatural. It makes sense to go, it's because we are a program to watch out for um, stuff that is in with that is within the world that is going to cause us harm and problems. And we try and rational everything that happens because we want to know where the threat is and what the threat is. And that means sometimes we have to create this supernatural answer, which is much like what we do with God. Um, and I, I posit and have done before that, you know, it is because uh, we need answers to big questions of justice and purpose and meaning. I hope that we have these, um, yeah, this desire to create the supernatural. Um, I mean, it's, it is again like a like an unconscious bias. Like humanity has been asking, as far as we can tell, since the dawn of Homo sapien two hundred thousand years ago, we've been asking the questions of what are we here for? What is our purpose? Gazing at the stars, you see it in ancient burials, you see it in cave paintings, in the ancient civilizations that we've unearthed, in in you know the writings of Paul. You see it in our own lives, asking today, you know, what is my legacy going to be? Am I going to be a Stephen Furtick, or am I going to be a um, a, you know, a Sam who's going to just kind of fade out when this when this podcast doesn't do very well, or you know, what what what, what is it that I'm going to be? Um, I think there is a bias within all of us to have worth, value, and to push ourselves into the future.